I don't consider myself an easy crier when it comes to movies, but I remember a good cry during a lot of the films and TV shows that I liked. It's as if it somehow makes the experience more memorable. Whenever my friends are giving me movie wrecks, my ears perk up a little when I hear them say it made me cry. Questions immediately pop up in my head. Cry in what way? What gives the film its ability to elicit such a strong emotional response? What film is it? Then we probably would watch it together and keep giving each other side eyes to see who's going to cry first. Welcome to the first episode of Made Me Cry, the show where I talk about films and TV shows that made me and many other people shed tears of sadness, laughter, happiness, inspiration. There are no limits here. If it made us cry, we're going to talk about it. And more importantly, find out how and why it moved us to tears. And of course, spoilers are ahead. Today's episode is on the 2013 film About Time, directed by Richard Curtis. I honestly sobbed when I first watched this, and so did everyone else I know who has seen it. I had recommended this movie to one of my friends, and she sent me this angry, crying picture with the caption. It was something like, why the hell did you make me watch this? I think she definitely enjoyed the film. I think she just doesn't like to cry. It's safe to say that a lot of people cried during this movie. These are some quotes from YouTube comments and online reviews that I saw about this film. Someone wrote, Quite possibly my favorite rom-com. I've never wept at the cinema before. That is, until I saw this film. Another person wrote, I'm getting tears in my eyes just remembering this movie. Truly a piece of art. Beautiful and touching. And finally, someone else wrote, This movie destroyed me. Such a masterpiece. And by the way, destroyed is in all caps. So these are pretty strong reactions. And so what is this movie about? This film stars Dom Hall Gleason as Tim, Bill Nye as Tim's father, and Rachel McAdams as Mary. Very early in the film, Tim's father tells Tim about the family secret. Tim, my dear son, uh, the, uh, the simple fact is the men in this family have always had the ability to... This is going to sound strange. Be prepared for strangeness. Get ready for spooky time. Uh, but there's this family secret. And the secret is that the men in the family can travel in time. Well, more accurately, travel back in time. We can't travel into the future. After learning this, Tim goes on to try and use time travel to make his love life a little better with no initial luck. He ends up meeting Mary, and after a bunch of time travel chaos he goes through to be with her, they do end up falling in love and getting married. If you look up this film on Google, you'll see it's in the rom-com category. But there are some issues with the main romantic relationship between Tim and Mary that we'll get into later. I want to argue that what makes this film really emotional is Tim's relationship with his father and the things about life he learns from him. Tim has a really close relationship with his father, and every scene with Gleason and Nye together feels natural. They have that father-son chemistry, which is really important in order for the audience to feel connected to this dynamic. And I think the reason why so many people felt emotional while watching this film, and this includes me, is because Gleason and Nye's acting together makes it easy to feel invested in this bond. 
Tim's dad does this really cute thing where he narrates over the ping pong game that he and Tim are playing together. There's a lot of laughter, lightheartedness, and fun between them. You can tell that this thing, acting like they're at the Olympics, is something that Tim's dad has done ever since Tim was little. <laughs> Come on, on with the game! Right, and what an extraordinary game this is. For the first time, a father and son are playing each other in the World Table Tennis Final, and neither of them are Chinese. Tremendous play from the old world champion and his son, the first openly ginger British table tennis player. But there are signs the youngsters are beginning to crack. There are tears in his eyes. There are not. Let's do well In the film, we transition from this playfulness to more serious conversations about life when Tim finds out that his father is dying from cancer. Tim's father tells Tim that it's too late to change anything. Their ability to time travel seems really powerful, but it ultimately has its limitations. If they travel back in time before their children's birth, they may not end up conceiving the same children. Because Tim's dad had started smoking before Tim and his sister were born, Tim's dad can't go back to the past to stop himself from smoking. This is the moment where Tim realizes that time travel truly can't solve everything. Before Tim's dad passes away, he tells Tim of another secret. It's a two-part plan for happiness. The first part, Tim should live a normal life like everyone else. There's a sequence of Tim going through the ordinary things in life, getting criticized at work, buying food at the store, coming home on a train next to someone who's blasting their music in their earphones. Throughout this whole sequence, Tim looks tired, exhausted, and fed up with this routine. The second part of the plan for happiness is this. He told me to live every day again, almost exactly the same. The first time with all the tensions and worries that stop us noticing how sweet the world can be. But the second time, noticing. Okay, Dad. Let's give it a go. The same sequence of events ensues, but this is Tim's second round. This time, he's more high-spirited, joking around with his coworker, taking the time to look around, being cheerful towards the person at the register in the store, and dancing to the music he hears in the earphones of the person sitting next to him on the train. He sees the beauty in the ordinary. He's relishing the ordinary. Then we cut to Tim's father's funeral. Tim excuses himself to travel back in time and spend more time with his dad. He just wants to be with him and listen to him read. We can assume that Tim has continually been doing this, going back to the past to spend more time with his dad who's now passed away. Then Mary tells Tim that she would love to have another baby. This means that Tim wouldn't be able to see his dad again. He does end up agreeing though, knowing he has time until the actual birth. Fast forward, Mary is very pregnant. Tim excuses himself to go back to the past and spend time with his father one last time. He's back at the ping pong table. Tim asks his dad, Is there anything you want to do? I don't know. There is this one thing. A quick little walk. Totally against the rules, of course. But if we don't change a thing, if we're very careful, it shouldn't do any harm. It would be nice. 
You can hear the ticking of a clock as they travel back to when Tim was little. They're at this beautiful beach. You can hear their screams and laughs as they're playing in the sand and the water. And I think the music, which is the main theme of the film, is what makes the tears really come out. Here's a clip of Richard Curtis talking about the score. And we always knew that our relationship was going to hit that terrifying moment when he had to write the main theme of the movie, which is um, played throughout the movie and then plays on the final scene with um, when Tim travels in time and he and his dad go for a walk on the beach. And it was... It's such a thing to know it's got to be absolutely perfect. Quite good, was never going to be good enough. And actually, we tried not to talk about it too much or work on it too long because, of course, the great danger of score is that if you get to know a song too well, you'll think it's great. Everybody, when they finish making albums, think they made the greatest album of all time. So I tried to sort of stay away from him and his tune and then got him to work it up and lay it on the, uh, on the scene, which is a sort of silent scene apart from the music, in quite a highly produced way before I really knew the tune to see whether or not, as I watched it through, my heart would leap. Unfortunately, because I hate it when Nick doesn't smile, <laughs> fortunately it did turn out to make my heart leap and so you know, he's an absolutely key, key person in the making of the film. And I think that his optimism and sweetness as a person is there in all the music, which is often very kind of modest and delicate. The music definitely makes my heart leap too. The scene is not necessarily dramatic. It's not a serious scene where they're trying to accept the fact that it's Tim's last chance to see his dad, Although there are some aspects of this, but they choose to just have genuine fun together, to enjoy life in their last moment together. After this, Tim ultimately ends up crafting his own plan for happiness. And in the end, I think I've learned the final lesson from my travels in time. And I've even gone one step further than my father did. The truth is I now don't travel back at all, not even for the day. I just try to live every day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day, to enjoy it as if it was the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. I think these scenes make us cry because we can all relate to feeling bored with life sometimes. A lot of life can be routine and ordinary, but it doesn't mean it can't be beautiful and happy. What I like about this film is that time travel is not the solution to everything. It can't be. Tim ends up not even using time travel anymore because he realizes he can find beauty in the present without having to go back and do it all over again. Time ultimately wins. We're living a finite life made up of finite moments within the infinity of time. All I could think about was that he was looking at something that was going to die someday. He just couldn't get out of his head. And I think that's so true. You know, everything is so finite. I mean, but, but don't you think that's what um, makes our time and specific moments so important? After thinking about the film a little bit more, I immediately thought of one of Koganada's video essays. 
So the clip that you just heard is one of the scenes from Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise that Koganada chose to include in this particular video essay on cinema and time. Quick side note, Koganada is a video essayist and filmmaker. His video essays are super well made and I really enjoyed his film Columbus. So definitely check those out. Before Sunrise is the first film of the Before trilogy, so I would recommend watching all three films. They're beautiful. I'm probably oversimplifying here, but they're about two people falling in love and talking about life. Each movie was filmed nine years apart with the same actors, so not only have the characters in the films grown and changed, but the actors have as well. There's a sense of authenticity, and Richard Linklater is a filmmaker who truly explores and uses the element of time in his movies. And before sunrise, Jesse and Celine, two young strangers who met on a train, are walking around Vienna, talking about love, time, life, their dreams, basically everything. At one point, as Jesse and Celine are looking at a piece of art on the street, Celine says, I love the way the people seem to be dissolving into the background. It's like the environments, you know, are stronger than the people. These human figures are always so transitory. Transitory? Transitory. This really connects to that last scene with Tim and his father in About Time. There are long shots throughout the scene that show the beautiful beach, and Tim and his father are just tiny human figures. It's as if the environment is sort of engulfing them. They know this moment will end. They can't control time, but they're choosing to relish the finitude of this moment. There's a moment in Before Sunrise where Jesse talks about this poem that deems time too strong and beyond our reach as humans for us to overcome or manipulate. I have this uh, recording of Dylan Thomas reading a W.H. Auden poem. He's got a great voice. He just, it's like uh, all the clocks in the city began to whir and chime. Oh, let not time deceive you. You cannot conquer time. In headaches and in worry, vaguely life leaks away. Time will have his fancy tomorrow or today. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> good. This poem connects to Tim's father's inability to cure his own cancer even with the power to time travel. His father even acknowledges that time travel does not exempt people from things that life throws at them. I think I just thought with the time thing. No, I never said we could fix things. I specifically never said that. Life's a mixed bag, no matter who you are. Look at Jesus. He was the son of God, for God's sake. Look how that turned out. I know. <laughs> you must see I feel a bit cheated. Don't. In fact, feel the opposite. The only people who give up work at 50 are the time travelers with cancer who want to play more table tennis with their sons. <laughs> So that's been the deal. We can't overcome time. We can't conquer it and change it in a way that matches our desires perfectly. But we can enjoy the time we do have. 
And I think about time goes a step further and acknowledges that finitude does not necessitate a lack of joy. Like Jesse said earlier, there's beauty in finitude. Each moment is finite, so no matter how ordinary it is, it has the potential to be beautiful, if you allow it. All right, that was some deep stuff. Let's all take a moment to kind of process it and stay tuned to listen to some of the criticisms that this film actually received despite the glowing reviews. Even though I do like a lot of things about this film, it's also important to acknowledge some of the criticisms that this film has faced, mainly regarding the issues and the way that it portrays women. The women in the film are passive. Only the men in Tim's family are able to time travel, so Tim's mother and sister are actively excluded, and they aren't aware of this family secret either. Mary also doesn't know that Tim can time travel, so these women's lives are constantly affected in some ways as Tim time travels to get what he wants in life. The women's lives change according to Tim and the men, and the women have no say in how they want their lives to change and whether they want their lives to change. I read an awesome group of articles that talk about the passivity of women in this film. Stefania Saruba from Little White Lies, which is a British movie magazine, brought up a great point. A part of the article explores films that could go under the time travel plus rom-com subgenre. I want to read part of this article because I think Saruba is really articulate. So Saruba writes, It is interesting that a genre which has long been predominantly aimed at a female audience is quick to dismiss its women as soon as a scientific element is introduced. Sci-fi, just like science, given the low percentage of women in STEM, is very much still a boys' club, and rom-coms featuring some form of time travel have historically contributed to reinforce this gender barrier rather than dismantle it, unquote. Suruba goes on to say, quote, Indeed, in About Time, Mary's agency is entirely removed from the equation. She is formally denied the chance of visiting different timelines on the basis of her gender, unquote. And this is true. In the film, Tim time travels multiple times to stop Mary from meeting a different person who he knows would eventually become her boyfriend if Tim wasn't in the picture. So Tim actively intrudes on her life so that she ends up with him. He also sleeps with Mary multiple times through time travel because he messed up the first time and thought he could do better the second time. So Mary thinks that she has only slept with him once, but he's getting sexual gratification from sleeping with her multiple times. Ryan Gilby from The New Statesman, which is a British cultural magazine, talks about the scene in his article. He writes, quote, So while Tim knows that he has had sex with Mary multiple times and we have been let in on that secret, she is oblivious. Let's look at that again outside the context of romantic comedy. A man has sex with a woman multiple times without her consent, or rather with her consent given only once and without her knowledge, unquote. Later on, he writes, quote, it's bad enough that Curtis has neglected to write her as a proper human being. 
Her characteristics are to be loving and supportive to Tim and to produce his children, which are not actually characteristics at all. Any choice she makes about their relationship cannot be based on the full set of facts about the sort of person he is, unquote. So Mary's lack of dynamism is definitely problematic, and the extent to which Tim uses this time travel when he's trying to win Mary over can be disturbing the more you think about it. The Male Gaze Pervades Rom-Coms, a published paper titled Women Being Groomed as Objects of Desire in Romantic Comedies by Stephanie M. Janania, says, quote, Romantic comedies have been known for continuing the idea that relationships make the social circle go round. But more often than not, it is women who must give up their freedom, dreams, and even their identities in order to find some type of resolution, unquote. This is exactly what Mary goes through without her even knowing it. Tim seems to violate her freedom, especially when he actively makes sure that she doesn't meet the person who would have later become her boyfriend. And the fact that she isn't aware about all of this makes this worse. Did she truly have a choice when falling in love with Tim? How would she have reacted if she had found out about what Tim did to end up with her? I think About Time does have some beautiful moments, particularly when it comes to the scenes with Tim and his father. This film did make me and many other people cry, but it's important to recognize the passivity of women in the film. This definitely makes me feel a little bit more iffy on Tim as a person. Does this take away from the beauty of Tim's relationship with his father? I don't think so necessarily. I think their relationship isn't contingent on Tim's character. I think their relationship is more about losing a fight against time but winning happiness of life. It's a relationship that we can kind of substitute ourselves into. A loving relationship with a parent, a family member, someone you care about. In the future, I hope we see more films that mix sci-fi and romance that center women who have more power over the narrative. Thanks for listening to the Made Me Cry podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode to find out what other films have made me cry and why.